Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filippovitz. Matt, um, yeah. Bill, I'm mad. And I'm not angry because the Big Ten came out here and canceled football this fall. I'm angry that they did it after I already wrote my Northwestern preview. So that Northwestern preview <laughs> now just has to sit in the dashboard for all of eternity, like the Snyder Cut. But I will release it if there is a social media reckoning calling for my Northwestern preview to be released. Uh, this year, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the my guess is that Northwestern was supposed to be bad, so you predicted them to win somewhere between 8 and 10 games. Is that a safe assumption? Uh, uh, I think I did. I think I put them in that range. Yeah, that, that, that sounds about right. That's very, uh, that's very Northwestern football. Um, but if you are listening to this podcast, it is because you are living in a world where uh, the 2020 pet – Big Ten football season uh, is not going to happen as planned. Uh, we already knew that the schedule had been condensed down to 10 games, but earlier this week, while citing the COVID-19 pandemic, the Big Ten became the first Power Five conference to postpone all fall sports. I think that's a really important distinction, um, just because in I, I believe it was an original story. The original story that this was uh, in the this was being strongly considered coming out of a newspaper in Michigan used the word canceled. And there is a big, big difference between canceling a season and postponing the season. The big 10 has announced that its plan is to postpone the season and try to play sometime in early 2021. Of course, that means Kevin Warren reads the blog. Kevin Warren reads the blog. Um, Please do not take this as a victory lap. Uh, I'm we're, we're going to get into this in a little bit. I'm very upset that they have to do this uh, for... Yeah, I'm super mad. For, I'm really angry. And it's for reasons that don't necessarily involve football. Um, but, Matt, I want to get your general reaction on things. Because this is... I think it's pretty safe to say that in my year... In all my years following sports... There has never, ever, ever been anything even close to what we have witnessed just generally in terms of how just the sheer breadth of this and how this has impacted so many sports and has now trickled down to impacting college football for now in the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Yeah, if you remember going back to when this whole thing started, I've always been saying I thought they were going to play because I I really thought we would – get this under control. I thought this would have been under control months ago. And and I realized I was just naive to the situation. Uh, But I think after the Ivy league came out and, and postponed their season, I think that was kind of the moment we all knew this was coming. The Ivy league is kind of the trailblazer for stuff like this. They're very smart people and they're probably going to make very smart decisions. Um, So I'm, I'm very frustrated and, and just, I don't know how to, you know, feel this time of year because it's always like, okay, football's, you know, right around the corner. You know, this thing that we wait all year for when we're only guaranteed 12 days out of the entire year where we get to see, you know, Penn State football, 12 college football Saturdays or more than that because there's bye weeks, but you get the point. But I I really don't know how to articulate how I'm feeling because it's a weird mix of disappointment and, and then sadness and anger, but also knowing this is probably the right call based upon what the medical experts are telling us at this time. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I think is kind of lost in this is that while I think the, and we might mention this in a second, I think the big tens process here was not very good. Um, I think the big, it was disastrous. You could, you can tell Kevin Warren's a first year commissioner who's like four months into the job. It was bad. Kevin Warren and the Big Ten eventually got to the right decision. I think that I'm not surprised. Um, I've been in the camp of I don't know how you are going to be able to play football for a while. Uh, you can't do it safely. The thing that just has me so upset about it, just from just from a, a college football fan perspective, is that the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And all the other major conferences, you know, I'm not going to, the the only difference is the other major conference have, conferences haven't pulled the plug yet, but I think that's coming. The Big Ten and the Pac-12, despite 
everything going into this, uh, everything that eventually uh, informed their uh, their decision to cancel, it seemed to me like their plan from March or April, the time when they should have been sitting down and saying, here is what is happening, here is what the worst case scenario is, let's start planning for that. It seemed like their entire plan was, well, obviously by September things will be fine, so we won't have to worry. And we end up sitting down and just wasting valuable time, wasting the time of players, of their families, of coaches, of their families, leaving everyone in the state of limbo. They do the schedule release. They end up getting to the point where, again, they make the right decision. It is, to me, objectively the right decision that the Big Ten canceled. Uh, the fact that they are saying uh, myocarditis, which is uh, the inflammation of your heart that uh, has been bandied about as the reason the Big Ten, like the kind of game changer. That's something that has been known as a potential side effect of COVID-19 for some time. There's a picture on the Boston Red Sox, uh, I forget who off the top of my head, who is dealing with this right now and will not be able to play this season because of that. So it seemed to me like they basically sat, Matt, and maybe I am just, maybe I'm just blinded by rage or something here. It seems to me that their plan was to basically just go, okay, everything is going to be fine. And then once we got to uh, the point in August where they had to make their plan and they had to start seeing through their plan, they scrambled and they had a, they ended up at the right place, but the process to get there was not good. Yeah, yeah, the plan was hope. And hope's a great thing to have. I think a lot of us had hope there was going to be a season, but... Hope can't be a plan, especially in something like this. And I, I agree. I did think they can't objectively. The concern about COVID for a lot of these players isn't so much, you know, the, the ultimate terrible thing to happen, which is they would pass from it. But it's they develop heart symptoms. They develop, um, you know, they, they get sick and they bring this home to their families. Like you can't ask these kids to, to stay away from their families for that long or, you know, God forbid, a coach gets it and then. You know, he goes home to his family. There, there's so many layers to this that are just beyond these players who are in great, great shape. And it, mm -hmm. it was the right decision. I, I do think that the rest of the Power Five and the other conferences, uh, also the MAC and the Mountain West have canceled football in the fall. I think the rest is coming. I know all of FCS has canceled. And now um, Mark Emmert just came out because apparently Mark Emmert can do something. I don't know what he can do. I don't think he knows what he can do. But he said they're canceling fall championships, but not in football. So that's basically you just admitted this is a bad idea, that, that this is not safe for these kids to do. But football is the cash cow. And how can you say that these football players are not employees or like every other student athlete if these other student athletes don't have to adhere to the same standards or regulations, whatever you want to call it? Like th This is the most – epic collapse of leadership or whatever the NCAA thought was their leadership I, I could ever imagine. It, it's the right decision. It's frustrating. I hope the players stay healthy. I, I hope reopening colleges goes well. I don't know if it will, but this is just such a bizarre time. And with so much that's unknown and with how horrible of a plan we had, there's nothing wrong with postponing and hoping that you can play in the spring, which is something I'm not sure they can still pull off. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And there's this uh, there's this sentiment that I have seen that, uh, well, obviously, if you're canceling football, why is it safe to put send kids on like open schools? It's not like I think it's a completely insane. Absolutely bonkers that universities are going to be open for business. Um, I, I understand that there are gigantic financial ramifications of this that I cannot even begin to fathom, but the fact that we're going forward with college, that's a mistake. Like you, you're trusting college students to not be college students. And Matt, you and I were both college students within the last five years. If you told me that there was a 
1% chance that something could kill me and I was a college student, I'd say, oh, well, obviously I'm going to still go to first anyway and have a good time and enjoy being a college student and relish that opportunity because you're a college student. And yeah, the, like college kids should be allowed to do that. And it really sucks that mm-hmm. this current class of college students can. It's it's I could not even begin to fathom my co- I, I loved my time in college. I loved my Same. time at Penn State. I could not even begin to imagine losing, you know, they already lost like half a semester. They're probably going to lose at least another semester. And, and for those seniors to miss that last little bit and, and for these current seniors to have to, you know, have this cloud hanging over their season and not get their last football season, it, it's the worst. And, and I wish there was something better I could say other than, you know, that sucks and I feel bad, but but that's just the way things shake out for, for this certain class. And it, it's awful and it's terrible. But at the end of the day, it's not the best decision to open campuses, and I would be shocked if we were sitting here in two months and State College looks like what we, what it usually does in October. Mm-hmm. And I think there are two more things that, you know, before we start getting into the conferences specifically a little bit more, we have to mention here. Number one, uh, the We Are United, We Want to Play movement um, kind of coming together and basically – Players leveraging the powers that they have as college football players, ultimate, you know, the statement Trevor Lawrence and a few other players put it out, uh, ultimately create a college football players association. Not reporting this, nothing like that. It's probably not a coincidence that that's the thing that led to that players using the power that they have, the thing that the NCAA and thing that all these conferences have feared for years and years and years, players understanding and leveraging the power that they have was seems like the kind of thing that led to everything snowballing for the Big Ten and uh, the Pac-12. And then the last thing, a lot of you, there, there might be some of you who turned the podcast off after this. This is a political issue. Like, as much as we want to separate politics and sports, politics is something that permeates into every single crack in our society. And the failures of our political leadership on in both parties, like a, a lot of you... A fair number of you probably know what my politics are, so please understand that this is not just one party that I'm really mad at. Both parties have just a straight-up dereliction of duty over the last couple of months to do every single thing in their power to protect you, to protect me, and to protect those who participate in sports for all, and just various things for our enjoyment. They have punted on that because they have viewed this as an economic problem and a PR problem over a global pandemic. I'm going to stop there because I can go on th- about this and uh, get really, really mad about it. But I think it's much better for us to talk about the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the remaining five conferences, the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12, which all seem like they want to move forward. Uh, Matt, I want to ask about the Big Ten and Pac-12. To me, as we've mentioned, there is just no circumstance under which I think you could say, even if the process was bad, that they did not make the right decision. And it, it is not surprising to me that these are the first two conferences that decided to say, you know what, we're going to push to, to uh, we're going to push to winter and spring first. No, and I, I don't want to come across as like a Big Ten elitist, but I mean, the, the Big Ten's full of a lot of really good schools with a lot of very smart people. Same thing with the Pac-12. I mean, the, these are the two programs that identify – I mean, I, I don't know if this is true, but I'd imagine probably the Big Ten and the Pac-12's footprint is probably – encompasses most of the population of the United States, or, or at least we're the most, the most populous areas, like New York, shout out Rutgers, um, Chicago, L.A., you know, the entire West Coast, you know, the Northeast, uh, the, the Midwest, all that kind of fun stuff. So I think being surrounded or – being a part of these places that have been hit probably the hardest by this whole pandemic really made them look at it in in a different light, which, which makes it so much worse that the response was so terrible because these places got hit hard early, which means they should have understood what they were dealing with before it got to this point. Mm-hmm. And that's that last thing that you mentioned was that was the point that I was going to make because when you think of how this. Uh, this pandemic and this virus are discussed in the United States. Where are the locations that seem to be the most uh, that seem to be the most fearful 
of this. It is a place like New York. It is a place like Philly. It is a place like the D.C. area. It is a place like Michigan. It is a place like Washington or Los Angeles. Those places where, even beyond the universities, New York was the global epicenter for this for a while. Los Angeles has, well, California in general has just been hit hard. Washington was the first major outbreak in the United States. Uh, Michigan, major problems handling this early on. New Jersey, major problems handling this early on. Pennsylvania, major problems handling this early on. Cook County here in Chicago, uh, mm -hmm. I believe at one point or maybe still had the most cases of anywhere in the United States. Yeah. So where the the Big Ten's headquartered. Exactly. You should have known about this. And one thing that in talking with my friends about this is – Matt, you used, you lived in Florida at one point during this. Florida was not hit particularly hard by this until, the, you know, there were plenty of cases in Florida. Until the last month or two, Florida wasn't really drowning with this. And it gave a sense of security to people in Florida. Texas was hit hard, hit hard, but not to the extent of New York or Los Angeles. Things have gotten really hairy there lately. If you go, uh, you know, one of the sites that, I like to use in order to kind of track this is the site COVID act now. And you look at the states that have active or imminent outbreaks by their measures. It is Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, Louisiana, and Texas. Uh, Idaho is also listed uh, there. And obviously if anyone is in any of those vandals, go vandals. Uh, The original college football bubble uh, is the Kibby Kibby dome. Uh, If you're in any of those places, Heart goes out to you. Please stay safe. Please stay secure. But these are the places that they didn't deal with this earlier. This is a newer phenomenon that they are dealing with. And I think that is something that has impacted the uh, the approach of decision makers in those various places. They are not in the place where New York is where uh, there were 2,000 deaths a day, where my friends who lived in New York told me stories of hourly they were hearing ambulances fly past their homes these really terrifying things and so much of our politics and so much of how we approach major issues is geographic and that's why i think that is that led to the two places that understand what this can do happening acting as they have and that leads to the other three conferences i think it is inevitable no matter how much they are saying right now and how proud they are that they seem to be that they are going forward with this. Um, There's going to be, I mean, I don't care what Dabo says on ESPN today when he's farting out of his mouth. Um, There's going to be an asterisk on whoever wins the natty this year. There's going to be an asterisk on literally everything. So even if you do not care about the public health side, that should be enough for you to say, well, maybe we should consider this. Well, yeah. the, I th- the ACC met tonight. That's actually why we, why we delayed recording this podcast because uh, we were going to wait to see what they said. And they said they're going to keep playing. I give it I give it two more weeks. I give it a week. Uh, I I can't imagine. And it, all it's going to take is that third domino of the Power Five to fall, and then the rest of it shuts down. That's all it's going to take. And I I what I want to mention here. Uh, because you know I'm in lockstep with Matt here, that uh, Pat Forty at Sports Illustrated published a story called "The Most Intriguing Battle in NCAA History." Uh, from the other day, it it was a very good piece, and there was a quote in there uh, by a lawyer named Tom Mars, and I'm going to read that quote in full right here because ultimately this is what I think is going to lead to the decision being made. It's not going to be in the best interest of the players. It's not going to be in the best interest of the coaches. It's not going to be in the best interest of any of those people. It is going to come down to this. Whatever conference, and this is the quote, whatever conference or conferences decides to play football this fall will be taking a ridiculously high risk they may soon regret. I know and have talked with some of the best plaintiff's lawyers in the country this week, and they're praying the SEC, Big 12, and or ACC are greedy enough to stay the course. If things go sideways, the plaintiff's bar will immediately get their hands on the internal financial analyses of the schools and a FOIA layup get the conference financials through the discovery process, and then just stand in front of the jurors and point to the conferences that decided not to risk the health of their student-athletes. Good Lord, I'd hate to be the lawyers defending those cases. Everything is going to come down to money eventually, and I think what is going to happen is stuff like that is going to put the fear of God into these various conferences. Stuff like that, the possibility that 
if if players start getting sick because they are playing football, if coaches start getting sick because they are playing football, lawyers from all over the country are going to descend on those schools and just take just take any penny that they like every penny that they want to take. It seems to me like that is ultimately going to drive it. And then there's also the cultural factor of if you think that people in a certain place need to take this serious, like think back to the day that the NBA canceled, how or, or, uh, the Rudy Gobert stuff happened in the NBA and eventually led to the NBA's postponement. That led to shockwaves. That led to people who weren't taking this seriously because they had no idea what it meant to take this seriously. Suddenly going, this is what it caught. Co- like if th- it is so bad that the NBA can po- can postpone a season, I need to start taking precautions for people in Louisiana, if uh, and Louisiana was a place that got hit really hard early, if they lose LSU football, people in Alabama lose Alabama or Auburn football. People in Florida lose Florida, FSU, Miami. These things have con- UCF baby, go Knights, go Knights, national champions. They, if those sorts of things happen, if those dominoes fall, those have effects on people beyond just oh well now what am I going to watch? This is like it's a big thing, Matt. It, it is a major major decision, and it's one that I think. Like you said, within two weeks, I think that eventually lawyers are going to be sitting people down at all these universities and saying, if we go through with this, whatever financial gains, whatever recruiting gains, whatever you think we are going to get by being the conference that plays are going to be wiped out the second that a player gets sick. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And just to give a little bit of perspective, so I, I lived in the South uh, at, at the start of this. I, I a reason I'm not in the South anymore is is because of this and, and some things that happened. Um, but in April, when things were getting really bad, and March back home in, in Eastern Pennsylvania, I don't live that far from New York, so so I kind of had a good understanding of what was happening. But you would have known nothing was different. It, me being in Florida, I, I went to the grocery store without a mask. I went. We could go out to eat. We could do. All of that stuff. And because we viewed it as a regional problem and and not to get political, but I feel like it would be irresponsible of me not to say this. The biggest failure that that could have happened was us not having a coordinated national response because Uh you can take it state by state, but people travel between states. You can't shut down borders between New Jersey and Pennsylvania or Florida and Georgia or New York and Connecticut like that. That's not how this works. It it was a gross, horrible failure. The rest of the conferences need to follow suit with what the Big 12 and the Pac-12 has done. I think they're going to. But, you know, let's say holding off a few more weeks gets Paul Feinbaum a couple more viewers and the SEC some more money in their pocket. Go ahead. Give them that hope that that frankly we had. And I wish we still had, if we're being honest, a couple days ago. But I do not think we're going to be able to play. I think give it, you know, two more of the group of five leagues or one of the power five, you know, saying we're done. And I think the entire thing shuts down, which is good because I am not confident we can get a spring season off because I just watched everybody fail at leadership for six months. But you should learn from this mistake. Everybody get together and let's work out a plan to try to make this work in the spring. Exactly, and we will get to uh, spring season stuff in a little bit, but I want to talk about James Franklin's uh, reactions to this. Franklin, well... He's so good at, he's so good at he, saying what he needs to say. He handled he is this... so smart at saying what he mm-hmm. needs to say in every moment. He's He is great at talking to the media. So uh, on August 10th, he posted a uh, statement to his Twitter account where he implored... We need a queer path forward. Uh, everyone deserves a path forward. He said the best decision right now was to cancel the season. He wanted the Big Ten to consider all possibilities for, to preserve college football this fall, called for it to delay and come up with a plan. He went on to get up the following day. Uh, direct quote from him here. Here's my other real concern. Why would we cancel the season right now when we don't even have the answers for what that may mean? Franklin's plan, I mean, Franklin's, was basically calling, and I disagree with him uh, to an extent here, uh, because I think the the smartest decision was to basically say we just cannot play in the fall. But he was he made a, a, a he was correct in saying that the bare minimum that the Big Ten needed to do was say, okay, let's press pause, let's get through. We haven't 
we've had just a failure of leadership. We haven't taken this as seriously. We haven't mapped out a plan, a coordinated effort to figure out what football is going to seem like in the fall. Uh, he, what he was saying was, if we start in October, basically, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking some liberties with the latest idea. If we, he, we start in October, that is fine. We have a 10-game schedule. We can play October to December. And we have to go to the end, start at the end of September. We could do that, too. Let's just make a plan. We do not have a plan. And it seemed to me, in, in ha- what he was saying, how I was interpreting it, he would have been fine if they pressed pause, if they sat down and they came up with a plan... And the best plan that they were able to come up with, the one that ensured the safety of players, of coaches, of everything, was we're going to play in the spring. Again, I have I, I have some disagreements with him there, Matt. Like, I think that playing in the fall was not going to be feasible no matter what. Uh, but I, I, I understand that perspective, and I understand the perspective of... I, I mean, he and I were... Uh, he and I, and well, you and me and James Franklin, were coming at it from the same perspective of... We need to just press pause right now and figure out what we're doing because we have not done that yet. Yeah, how sad is it that we're praising James Franklin as the smartest guy in the room and all he said was make a plan? Like, isn't that absolutely insane six months in? Uh, But no, I I agree. I I think we were always destined, you know, for an attempt at spring. I think – I have a lot of ways to think about this because we probably weren't going to have a season anyway and it would have really stunk if like – they're still practicing today, and then somebody goes out there and tears an ACL, and then there's that for no reason. Like, that that would that would be awful, you know, terrible. But at the same time, I think if you just say, let's press pause and let's delay this a little bit and let's figure some more things out, I don't know what it would have done. But I think from a selfish fan perspective, I could have gotten to release my Northwestern preview. And I would have gotten to just have that hope for a little bit longer because, you know, frankly, it's been a weird and really dark five, six months for a lot of people. And I think having that hope that we would have college football, even if it doesn't look normal, it's still the sport that we love. I I think that hope was something a lot of people were clinging to. And and it sucks to have that just taken away, knowing that it probably could have been avoided with, with some competent leadership and tactics to fight this thing. And even if that couldn't have been avoided, like at least there was an understanding of what was happening. Like there would be some kind of light at the end of the tunnel. And thanks due to how the Big Ten handled this, there was light at the end of the tunnel. And then we blinked and suddenly there was six more months that we had to figure out with the tunnel. I'm not, again, not saying that it's the wrong move to have that be what happened. It's just you were putting it, doing it in such a way that I think... It didn't care about the players. It didn't care about the coaches. It didn't care about the communities. Like, this is something that I'm terrified of. And, like, I I don't want to talk about this too terribly much. I'm horrified of what State College Pennsylvania can look like without the all, without everything that comes with football in State College Pennsylvania. Support support those small businesses. Order online. Please support. That's what makes State College great. State College looked a lot different when I first got there in 2015 to what it looks like now. And those places that are still standing mean a lot to a lot of people, mm-hmm. like in, including myself. And I don't want to speak for Bill, but I'm assuming Bill. I oh, know yeah. Bill loves the, oh, yeah. Bill loves the first. Bill loves cafe. Bill loves all those <laughs> bars, all those stores. You did, 50, you did 55 days. Your I name's did. on the wall. I did. Yeah, that's that's some shame you have to you have to carry as well because I did the same thing. But but please, please, please support these businesses. This is the stuff that makes State College my favorite place in the world. And if we want to make sure that State College looks like it did when we left it, whenever the last time you were there, or if, or if you're currently there and you like the way it looks, please support these businesses. It means the world to a lot of people that these places and these people make it through this really challenging time. Yes, and if— There's my high horse. I just yes, no, and— Listen, it's a tough time for a lot of people right now financially. There's a lot of belt tightening that's going on. There are a lot of people, Ward knows I know plenty of them, and Ward knows to an extent, like, we are all doing this, where we don't know what the next month is going to be. So if you cannot do this, that is fine. But I will put a link uh, in the SoundCloud description of this. I think it should go out to the other descriptions for where you can buy gift cards for downtown state college businesses. Buy them, stash them, give them as gifts this holiday season, and whenever we can get back to State College to celebrate all the things that we love about that place, use them, 
give those businesses some support now and then just so you can make sure that we are still able to have places to support a little bit later. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that that's all before I think we kind of look forward. It's just, is there anything else from the rest of the Big Ten that you want to mention? And I think this is a chance for us to have a little bit... Uh, th- this might be the part where we're most disgusted, because I think I know what you're going to bring up, Matt. You think I'm going to talk about Scott Frost? Oh, we're so, baby, we are... Scott so- Frost, you're going to... You, I'm going to go on a little tirade here. Scott Frost, you had... Let me pull up your record. You've had absolutely one... One winning season in your entire head coaching career. Congratulations! You went thirteen and zero in the AA in the yeah is it the AAC yeah the AAC. You should still get the national championship ring, but you do not have the kind of cachet to threaten to leave the Big Ten. Are you kidding me? Your school left the Big big 12 because you were dying to get into the big 10 for that kind of money i understand you were just talking because you wanted to get your fan base riled up because you have gone 9 and 15 in two years so i'm sure you need to rile them up a little bit but this is the most ridiculous thing everywhere else is about to cancel i get why you riled it up but you pissed off i'm sure a lot of people inside of that big 10 whatever headquarters building and tossing around 80, saying, oh, we'll lose 80 to $120 million. Like, dude, thank you. You just made it a little bit easier if the athletes ever decide they want to, like, really pursue getting their hands on that compensation. And, like, the gall of the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Like, I am a Penn State fan. I know what it means to have a program that is hearkening back to its glory days in the 1980s and 1990s. But at least we could back that up. Yeah, but we can at least, are we at almost basically at that point? There is Penn State is in the midst of a run of success, the likes of which it has not had since the 1980s and 1990s. Yeah, Penn State has clout. Penn State has clout. If James Frank, like James Franklin, he wouldn't do this because he's too smart to do this. Decided he was going to say, oh well, we can lose 80 to 120 million dollars, and you know what? Maybe we just have to leave the Big Ten, like. It's still a terrible threat, but at least James Franklin could back that up a little bit, and he's backed that up on a football field in the way that Scott Frost and the Nebraska Cornhuskers haven't. Like, it's amazing. Even when Nebraska doesn't play football, they find ways to be gigantic disappointments. So good for Nebraska. I cannot, I really, really hope that one day, like, once the dust settles in all of this, if the big, if Kevin Warren wants to make it up to the other 13 Big Ten fan bases, I hope he gets on the vote with Nebraska and says, don't let the doorknob hit you on the way out. Uh, Matt Lehman uh, crossed the goal line. It was Ma- a touchdown. That add was a Notre- touchdown. Add, add Notre Dame to the Big Ten. Uh, no. We, I, yes, I, I will die on this hill. We, I, I will never respect Notre Dame. Um, the only other thing I wanted to do is I actually wanted to give a quick shout out. We're going we're to both be very testy today. I like it. We're we both are, very angry. We're, 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 we're having a normal one. Uh, the g- only other coach I wanted to shout out, we're going to be shouting out another coach in a second uh, when we talk about what a spring season can look like. But uh, I actually want to give a shout out to Ryan Day at Ohio State because he said something really good, which is that a plan for the spring needs to be determined within weeks and not months. Um, this is something that I don't think any unre- any reasonable person will disagree with. Um, Whatever plan the Big Ten comes up with has to be made hastily and thoroughly. Like, and I understand that you those two uh, beliefs kind of are counterintuitive to one another. But the Big Ten sat on its hands for months, and Ryan, I want Ryan Day, I want James Franklin, I want Jim Harbaugh, I want all the big name coaches in the Big Ten to be saying, "No, you are not leaving us in limbo again. You need, you need to have." 12-hour days working on this. You need to be on call after call after call. And by the time we get to September, or by the time we get, get a week or two into September, we need to know what the plan is. It is your duty to give us that sort of plan. We deserve this. Our players deserve this. And our fans deserve this. Because with how the Big Ten has dropped the ball over the last couple of months, the least that they could do is get off their asses and do something now. Uh, I could not agree more. You're keeping these seniors, you're keeping these fifth-year guys in limbo. Do they stay for a spring season, or can they go and start prepping themselves for whatever semblance of an NFL combine, senior day, pro day, 
you know, draft stuff they're going to have to do. The Big Ten owes it to these student athletes who do all that they do to make the Big Ten one of the best conferences in the country. Exactly. And get all that stuff sorted out as soon as possible. Maybe they could, like, get the NCAA to try to do something, but the NCAA has no... All, <laughs> all, all Mark Emmer really seems to care about lately is making sure that uh, he, various members of Congress don't, like, drag him again for being the... It, it is amazing uh, for how bad Rob Manfred is at his job, for how, like, craven Roger Goodell is, for how... All these things and all these commissioners of all these sports. Mark Emmer is proving once again that if you are going to come at the king, you best not miss. And Lord have mercy for how bad Major League Baseball has been. I don't know how you could be worse at your job than Mark Emmer. Um, I'm going to even. I don't even know what his job is. I'll be honest. His his job is to say why athletes, why uh, labor doesn't deserve to be compensated. Um, well, that, that's for another podcast. Let's look forward. Uh, let's talk about a spring season. Uh, let's talk, Matt, just kind of starting from the base on a spring season. Is this smart? Because I do understand why people say a spring season is not the best idea. Um, I actually, you know, you, our listeners have heard me beat the drum for a spring season for some time. I actually do agree that, there are some serious, serious concerns with having a spring season, but the way that I see it, they have to figure out a way to make the spring work, in part because of financials, in very large part because of financials, and in part because all the stuff that we have mentioned uh, about players, coaches, fans, that sort of thing. I'm, I'm kind of in two camps here. Uh, first of all, I don't know how they pull it off. I, I legitimately don't know how I can say I think they can pull this off when they, again, haven't done anything for six months. And second of all, I want this pandemic and everything that it's affected to get out of my life as quickly as possible. And by playing in the spring, we're probably going to have to affect the fall of 2021. And I don't want that to happen. I want this bottled to one year, one season. That's super selfish and it makes no sense. But I do not work in the medical field, so I do not know how anything works. But I would be very upset if instead of getting college football in all of its stupid, ridiculous glory, if instead we got two semi-seasons of college football light. And that's very unfair to a certain crop of, of players, but that, that's just my opinion. And my opinion, I'm sure, is going to change a thousand times in the next two weeks alone. I, I think spring would be fun. I think if you want to say you can play eight games, I don't know if you can do 12 in the fall and I'd rather do 12 in the fall. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I think the universities have to at least try to do something. But again, I don't think it's going to get off the ground. Yeah, I, I, my bigger concern is just the physicality of playing potentially – you know, eight games that wrap up in May and then playing another eight to 10 games uh, that begin in September. Oh, um, I want to clarify now, now that you say that. I, I, I do think that that's why if you do play in the spring, you should reduce games in the fall. Yes. It's not like a really yeah. selfish thing. I just yes, want to clarify yes, yes. that. Yeah, no, that's a lot to for, put for, on a 19-year-old kid's body. For sure. And like, I, I, I think that's that more than any, well, you know, is there still a pandemic happening is going to be looming over this that, but when it comes to just football, that more than anything, more than any nonsense, the NFL will try to pull off more than uh, anything with travel, anything with lodging and like all that stuff. The thing is how do you do this in such a way that the already gruesome things that football does to a person's body are not exacerbated by giving them, let's see, season ends in May, June, July, giving them four months, five months to fully recover. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I honest to God don't know how you go about doing that outside of, you, you know, you just play as many players as you possibly can. Like you're, Maybe they tweak something with redshirt rules, so you are, you you can basically give uh, give 
as you can tell, I'm I'm talking through this like in the moment. You give like true freshmen the opportunity to play at a certain point, and it doesn't count towards their eligibility. Like I don't know. Are you, are you talking early in release? No, I mean like if uh, if Keandre Lambert Smith were to play in uh, you know if Penn State needed bodies and Keandre Lambert Smith or if uh, Pat Fryermuth moves on and Penn State's tight you know Theo Johnson has to play uh, then Theo Johnson can play uh, and as long as he doesn't hit X snaps per game like he preserves a year of eligibility so uh, the NCAA has ruled on this it's half the season no, no, no. That that that's what I mean. But you still can appear in every single game. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, I see. I you see, can still I see you appear mean. in every single game, like something like that. You need oh, to figure wow. out. You would need to figure out a way to decrease the impact that this has on a person's body. And really, the only like the only way I could think of doing that is to either a play six games, which they would no, they'd want to extract every single possible game that they can out of this, or b do it in such a way where it incentivizes playing as many players as possible. Um, the interesting thing though, Matt is what a spring season could look like. And there was actually, you know, I mentioned we're going to be talking about another coach here. Uh, Purdue coach, Jeff Brom actually put out a plan. Is it a good plan? Is it a bad plan? I don't know, but he's the only person in the big 10 who has decided to put a plan out. And I will let Shout you out Jeff. Jeff Brom said he did this in two days, which I think is more than the big 10 has done in, in like six months. So shout out to you, Jeff Brom. So I'll let you dive into it a bit, but it's an eight game spring season that begins at the end of February of 2021. And then a 10 game fall season that begins in October of 2021. Yeah, so I'll kind of go into to, to the basic. This is kind of where my idea came from that I don't know if I love this idea because if Penn State goes to a fall season of 10 games in 2021, we don't get to see Auburn. And, oh, my God, I don't know what the next year holds, but please, please wear a mask so we can white out Auburn and make Bo Nix throw 19 interceptions and do what Oregon couldn't. Shout out Jomo, New Oregon. <laughs> Please, for the love of God, I want nothing more than to go to Beaver Stadium next fall and just absolutely yell at Gus Malzahn for being the most overrated coach in college football right now. Those, but those, no. those vests, those vests. Oh, are, my, oh my God. Why? Why? Like, why do people think he's good? I don't understand. Anywho. Um, so, yeah. So this season would kick off um, the last week of February, February 27th um, and run through April 17th which I think you know makes a lot of sense. So you would kick things off in about mid-January, so right around the time kids would be going back to school um, after winter break. And you would have a good amount of like two-week training period and then a four-week training camp, and then from there you hit the season running. So I'd imagine in the, the, he actually built this out as if every conference is going to be doing this, which is why I think the rest of the conferences should just cancel already and let's get to work because there's a lot, to work, a lot of work to do and a little bit of time. But from there... Um, you would have an eight-game season. I would imagine it would for the Penn State, it would be the six other teams in the um, Big Ten East and then two out West. Like, I don't know, play Nebraska so we can absolutely demolish Scott Frost. Oh, God. Um, it'd be amazing. And Yeah, so then from there, it would run through, like I said, uh, um, April 17th. Um, and then from there, you shut everything down for a little bit. And then in about July, you would begin bringing players back for like a similar – Acclimation, acclimation, acclimation. Well, well, real, real quick. Uh, w- while uh, Jeff Brom's plan involves ending uh, the final game, we played Saturday, April seventeenth. Uh, bowl season would still happen. It would uh, kick off March first and run until May fifteenth. Yes, I, I'm not sure you can do a bowl season in this model, but good for him for building it in. Um, but yeah, then you take some time off again and you'd come back, uh, in July and have a similar acclimation period. And then you would eventually kick things back off, uh, October 2nd and kind of run it from there like normal with a 10 game schedule with things ending, uh, December 11th of 2021. And then kind of bowl season would go on as we know it. So I think it, it, as far as plans go, it's, it's coherent. There's not that many holes here. If it's feasible, I don't know. Again, I'm not confident a spring season can happen, but if you're going to do one, I I think the Brown method is probably the best one I can imagine. It it gets in this scenario, you only miss six games over the course of two seasons, which isn't the worst thing in the world. 
and uh, some you know a few important details uh, that he added to this. Uh, one, if you took this plan uh, during the spring period, the first two weeks of the spring season, the northernmost teams would play away at the southernmost teams' venue. Uh, weeks six and Give seven. Give me Penn so State that- LSU. On March like 9th. That would be amazing. Unfortunately, would, love, would love that. Well, unfortunately, what I think he means is that just like everyone plays at Maryland. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're probably right now that I so, think about it because it's all conference. That makes but sense. the far more important stuff is that in the spring, only one padded practice per week. In the fall, only one padded practice per week. Uh, and then following. That's how, that's how it should be. I think. Yeah. Well, that's Ready. just. Yeah, that's generally just how it should be. Oh. I mean, for how much we hate missed tackles, um, I'd rather they miss a tackle than like someone's ligaments go kaboom. Uh, neither that should be there. a podcast we do throughout this next whatever waiting time is how we fix all of college football's problems. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, drop that one down. Uh, and then the last thing he mentioned is following the fall 2021 season, uh, no traditional spring practice for 2022, four to five weeks of 20-hour weeks, only weight training, conditioning, a walkthrough, and nothing in pads. So basically, you are using the spring period as a way to develop while simultaneously not having guys try and tackle each other, try and run into each other, collide into each other, and add more tread to those tires. And I think, let's be clear, this is the only plan we have right now. So it is legitimately better than literally anything else that we have. But the principles and the fundamentals of this are strong. And there's something that I think wouldn't be the worst idea, even if you don't pursue exactly Jeff Brom's plan, you build off of that and you figure out ways to tinker within that and Matt I know you're going to agree with me even if if they have to go to a spring season I understand that it's not going to be the same there's not going to be out of conference play uh even in conference play would probably be uh reduced quite a bit but they would need to get creative in whatever they do, and it really does seem like, regardless, uh, there are these there are the financial issues at play. I know all of that, but it seems like they owe it to the players to try to figure something out, and if they are going to do something, this sort of plan, it, it just makes sense to me. Also, could you imagine how much fun the 2022 blue-white game would be Dude. if there was just no football game? Dude. Like, have it be like a skills competition. Yes! Like, have it, that would be so much better than the actual blue-white game. Or can you – or like, just imagine how much fun September 1st, Saturday, whatever it is, 2022. Do you know how much fun people will have watching Penn State kick the living hell out of Eastern Michigan? Like there, th- God, Twitter's Twitter's going to be a firestorm that day. Oh God, just like there's, there are ways to get like we will get back to origin what we know as college football eventually. Until then, like these little plans piecing everything together are are what we have. Um, I don't want to get too over eager with talking about this stuff, but Matt, let's just take a 10,000 foot view of what we think. If the big 10 can get its act together and put together a spring season, whether that's a big, if. That's, that's a, a that's big, a, if, although brother. did you see, uh, did you watch Franklin when he went on to get up? Uh, I listened to it. So you heard his suggestion of let's do big 10 football weekends. We got a dome in Detroit. We got a dome in Indianapolis. We got a dome in Minneapolis. Let's do big 10 football weekends there. I have no idea how feasible that is, but like that sort of thing would be awesome. Like I am very much, if there is no football in Beaver stadium, like I am, I would be very unhappy with that. But if they have to get creative and do something like that, like I think it would be really cool if Penn state's unofficial home stadium was uh was Lucas Oil Stadium? Yeah, it, it, that would actually be really fun. I, I don't know. I, I'm. I think my favorite part about college football is how insane the environments are. I think that's why I love it so much. 
And I think it, this is so selfish and I know it's selfish. And, and again, like you, I'm just trying to rationalize my thoughts here live, like in, in real time. And I think I would really miss seeing everybody in Beaver Stadium, even if it's no, not even if it's not like with fans, just seeing the players back in Beaver Stadium, having that familiarity of that, that that's still the field that I know, like that's that, that's still the place where I went growing up and I had the most fun when I was in college. Like, I think it would be really fun. But I honestly think that kind of that wonder would wear off after like four games. I'll be honest. I, and listen, I will I'll say this like. Last year, last season was the first season in which I could not go to a Penn State football home game since I was a high school senior. Like I, I've mentioned on here, had some health, had some health stuff that ended up getting cleaned up, but it prevented me from getting the experience of going to Beaver Stadium and getting to getting to hang out with all my friends from college, getting to share in these wonderful traditions that we all love that made it so all of us have this mutual connection. You listening to this podcast have a mutual connection to me and I have a mutual connection to you solely because we love Penn State. And I didn't have that last year. And it sucks. Like you do not understand like it once you are used to going to Happy Valley at least once a fall, you do not understand how much it sucks when you don't have the ability to do that. And I didn't have the ability to do that and unfortunately, it seems like the rest of us are not going to have that ability to do that. But, again, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and there are ways that I think we could have Penn State football. Well, it seems like there could be ways that we could have Penn State football. I want to couch that as hard as I can uh, with like little qualifiers like that. But, Matt, let's, let's talk about the team. Let's talk about, to whatever extent we feel comfortable doing this, the one thing we know about Penn State next season is that Micah Parsons will not be there. Otherwise, this is a very talented football team, I've gone back and forth on whether or not Penn State will lose, you know, see kind of this mass exodus uh, of draft eligible players. Where are you at? I mean, Journey and Pat excluded. You know, who can you say is for sure a a fifth round or higher pick? Uh, I mean, be honest. And even I I, I think Journey's, you know, a, a second day pick. But for a lot of these dudes who have, who have popped up in mock drafts, it's like predicting it based upon the season they expect them to have. Uh, Jason Owe could easily be a first-round pick with a breakout season, but uh, that's not going to happen unless he gets that chance. Jaquan Brisker's in the same boat. You know, Michael Mennett can really help his stock. Like, I think a lot of it comes back to, like, the Joe Burrow, the Joe Burrow quandary or whatever the proper term there is, is that this is a dude who would have been a six-round pick but lit it on fire a senior year. You know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire on that same team. There's always dudes like that. And that's why I think a lot of guys would come back because Penn State has so many talented dudes that are that one season away. So I think a lot of them would come back. Again, you don't really know what it's going to look like. Maybe people could just option out of the spring and just say, you know, let's punt again, you know, next fall, whatever that's going to look like. But I think Penn State's in a really good spot in terms of how, with how the roster is constructed and, and who's draft eligible and those guys who are kind of what have they put on tape enough. But again, this could all change because if a bunch of dudes start opting, opting out and they're like, OK, well, I have enough on tape, like pe- people could eventually figure out that, you know, Jason always going to be good and they'll just take a shot on him, you know, because this whole process of the NFL draft and, you know, deciding if you want to leave and, and who teams scout, it's all been upended. So if you kind of see this as a chance for you to cut your losses ahead of time and now just go based upon your athleticism. I think you can try that, but I think Penn State's in a good position to keep a lot of dudes. I think the biggest flight risk is probably Pat, but again, Pat could have left last year and he came back because he wanted to play Penn State football. And Mm -hmm. Pat was very vocal about how he wanted to play this fall. And I think Pat likes crowded Beaver Stadium. So you know, if you say, you know what, if we get this under control, we have a vaccine and we can go back to things as normal for 2021 in the fall, who knows? Maybe Pat comes back, but that's not something I can predict or any of us can because there's just so much we don't know. So I think the sooner we kind of embrace that this isn't going to make sense for a while, I think the easier a lot of things are going to be to process and to think through. Yeah, and the, the fun thing with Pat was after Micah Parsons opted out, someone said, someone tweeted that he's going to be next, and then Pat said, 
like, he, I, if memory serves, he just no chance. Said, no, no, like, no I, chance I'm coming back. Like, Pat Fryman seems like he wants to play football for Penn State. Uh, like that, the cynical side of me, uh, when I remember that Ryan Day quote about how we need to play in weeks, not months. It's so co- like coaches want that in large part because they want to know what players are going to be there. Like if if the NCAA and remember, I don't think the I, I don't think the NCAA is exactly going to uh, do much. If the NCAA sits down and starts talking with the NFL and says, "Listen, we want to be able to play this football season. Our ecosystem needs this. Your your." Future players are dependent on us having as strong of an ecosystem as possible. Push the combine and draft back to June. Do some tweaks to your schedule, that sort of thing. Let us play football. That's when I think that a guy like Pat, a guy like Journey, you know, even going around college football, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Penny Sewell, uh, Colvin Chason at uh, LSU, those sorts of dudes that's when I think it becomes a little bit easier to ju- for them to justify staying in college. Uh, but that's going to take the NCAA getting off its asses and talking to the NFL and planning. Because if you go with a plan where the NFL draft is, you know, the third weekend in April or, you know, something like that, and they're on game seven of eight at that time, why for how no matter how much Pat Fryermuth loves Penn State, why would he keep playing at that point when he is being drafted by an NFL team? Unless they decide to basically uh do the do like the baseball or hockey team where you get drafted and that team has your rights until you're ready to go. Uh and then you can make Oh, that'd jump. be cool. But push push the draft back to July. You don't yeah, need just to push, have just like worry that, that that's that's you want T V money. Like, right. That's that, why the draft's when it is. Like, exactly. Let's not, let's not mince words here. We know why that is. Like it, let's say let's say we do Brown's plan. And if you push the draft back to July, the season ends for a lot of guys. What was it, April seventeenth, whatever it was? Uh, sorry, sorry, I, I can't stop going in my head. Brahms plan, Brahms Brahm. plan. <laughs> have the combine the first week of June, like giving up, give dudes six, seven weeks to heal up for a lot of players who, who hopefully don't suffer, you know, season ending injuries. That'll be enough time to heal up, get your body right and, and kind of get in physical form to have a modified combine. And then let's get rolling like, like we can we can make this work. And it's funny that I think you and I have a lot of really good ideas and I think they're better than what a lot of people in charge have come up with. Right. And I I also want to add, if by the time we get to next year, if there is no vaccine, no list of very reliable, you know, reliable, tried and true uh, treatments and therapeutics that can help fight this virus, that can help keep people safe, that make it so if someone catches it, it can be knocked out of their system quickly they can avoid having they can avoid having inflammation of their heart muscles. You can avoid, uh, you know, your kidneys being damaged. You can avoid all the things that come with this virus that we are still learning about on a daily basis. Then it's really, really hard for me to justify them playing college football. Still, at that point, this conversation presupposes that they will be able to make progress on those sorts of things, and you know. If you're the praying type, keep praying. If you're the wishing type, keep wishing. Whatever you do, let's let's get to the let's hope we're able to get to the point where one of the myriad of vaccines or treatments that are being worked on right now make it safe to play college football. But in the event they are able to play college football, like I really, really think it is in the NCAA's best interest to sit down and make it come up with some sort of plan to make sure that when the season happens, it is able, even under these bizarre circumstances, to know that it can happen without having to worry too terribly much about the NFL. It will take conversations. It will take meetings. It will take all these things, and it will be really It will will take work. It will take work. It will take the kind of work that we have not seen throughout this entire process. And if they care about college football, if they care about the money that it brings in, like, I, you know, I have basically, I have accepted Mark Emmert does not give a damn about Penn State or Ohio State or Notre Dame, LSU, Alabama, any of these programs, all 
that the NCAA sees when they see these programs are big cash cows that they can milk. And I understand that you are not going to be able to get to milk them to the extent that you need to be able to do that unless you sit down and let them have as as normal of a season as they can under these circumstances. It is best for the long-term health of college football, which is ultimately the best for the long-term health of the NFL. The good news, at least in our weird corner of the universe, is that Penn State seems like the kind of program, you know, I'm not in lash every day. Matt's not in lash every day. It seems like the culture in that program is strong that the players and the coaches are all in it for one another. Their families are bought in to what Penn State is trying to do and what James Franklin is trying to do. And in the event Penn State is able to play college football this season, this seems like it is the kind of program that can weather the stor- this weird storm that we are in right now in a way that... I don't know if other programs can't do it, but I'm damn sure sure I am damn sure that Penn State can. Uh, Matt, I'm sure you, like I'm going to guess you agree with me on this. Like it just seems like Penn State is going to be able to find itself in a position to succeed whenever this season happens. 100%. And this is just a true testament to what James Franklin has built from technically kind of the ground up. So shout out to him for for really establishing this culture that it looks like the players are proud to be a part of, the coaches are, the players' families are proud to be a part of. It's a really good sign. And it's really great that Penn State has the same guy as the face of the program for as long as they have. Because this would be really tough to go through for, you know, a guy like Norvell at Florida State who has to rebuild it from the ground up. This stability is huge in a time like this. And, and for a guy like Franklin, who is this going to be his 10th season as a head coach? Something, Something like, like that. that. Going back to Vandy, like he, he's been through the ringer before, and he's never been through anything like this, but he knows how to control what he can control. So, so whatever happens, I guarantee you Penn State's going to be ready, and they're going to be able to put – this is like honestly the least of our worries, but they're going to be able to put a, a good product out there on the field. Absolutely. And, you know, just – we're we're gonna wrap this up here because we've gone uh, quite long. Uh, I don't know this is eh, this is about normal for us, but we we've packed a lot into this episode. Just our final th- like my final thought on this one is that I really hope that the that the first and foremost, I hope that the ACC, I hope that the Big Twelve, I hope that the SEC all come together and do and decide, you know what, it's just not safe. Like, we cannot do this. Even if it's like the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were there, uh, the, the circumstances under which they get to that point are not good. I just hope that they do that because even under the, even if the road to get there is bad, at the end of the road is the right thing. And I hope that everyone starts sitting down in these various conferences, one, to talk about how they can use the platforms that they have as some as the biggest college football programs in their st- in the country in Oklahoma and Oklahoma State I would love to know how many people in that state are not Oklahoma or Oklahoma State fans in Texas they have a in Texas don't disrespect the, the Tulsa Golden Hurricane I was ta- like I was that? just talking P5 I was just talking Power 5 just talking Power 5 come on in Texas, they have the Texas Longhorns, they have TCU, they have Texas Tech, they have Texas A&M, L- Louisiana, they have LSU. At, like, all of these states, even the states, uh, e- even the states a little bit farther, farther north, like Michigan and Michigan State, I hope that they are also sitting down, all of these states and all, all of these schools and all of these states are sitting down talking about how can we use the platforms that we have as things that people love on a level that they do not love most things to encourage people to do everything right so that we do not mess this up again. And two, I hope they sit down and come up with plans so they do not mess this up again. Uh, Matt, any, any, any final thoughts for you before we, uh, log off here and we both go watch Damian Lillard do some stuff to the Brooklyn Nets um Penn State got a crew today um good news um and we're, we're gonna be our we're gonna be all right like I feel like that's something nobody really gets to hear right now but eventually 
I don't know when it's going to be, but we're going to be all right. We're, we're going to be back in Beaver Stadium soon enough. We're going to be able to, to do all the stupid fun stuff we do on the site again soon enough. It's just going to take some time, and that's just the way it's going to be. But keep on being strong out there, everybody. Wear your mask. You know, Stay safe. Stay, keep your distance. Don't go to 500 people house parties. Uh, to the students going back, be safe. Have fun. Enjoy it. Um, I know I love my time there. Um, but we're, we're going to be all right. It's going to take some time, but we will be all right. We're going to get through this. Yeah. How did Kirby let a big tight end that could block named Holden stays leave Georgia? Cause he didn't want to stay around that terrible haircut. There you go. Got him. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's basically it. Let's, let's all make a commitment. Every single one of us to do what we need to do to make sure one, just some sense of normalcy is returned nationwide and two we can make sure we have college football uh this spring uh as we've mentioned on a few of these make sure you're wearing masks make sure you're keeping six feet away from people at least six feet away from people make sure you're frequently washing your hands you're not going outside which you have to all those things that help slow the spread of this pandemic and let us finally all get this under control to whatever extent we can and hopefully some people who have a lot more power than you and me decide that they're going to take this a little more seriously than they have but I doubt that. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure uh, you head to our various uh, social media channels. Give us follows there, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that. Make sure you are subscribing on our various iTunes platform, our various podcasting platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, whether it's Spotify, whatever else. If you go over to Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave us a five-star review, even if you weren't happy that we touched on politics in this one. Please go over there, leave us that review, uh, we really appreciate anything that we can to game that algorithm a little bit. Make sure you buy some shirts. Still got plenty of shirts, still sending them all through the postal service, and we really want you to be able to get your hands on one. And like Matt said, th- this will be over eventually, and hopefully someday that we're, uh, we're all back in Beaver Stadium singing, having a good time, and watching the Penn State Nittany Lions once again. One last time. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Hashtag release the Northwestern preview.